So we're in this series titled Emojis. Most of you have probably been here throughout it. Today is part four of Emojis, and we've been talking about our emotional intelligence, uh, learning how to better deal with our emotions. See, uh, we need to be able to have control of our emotions. We're emotional people. We're made in the image of God, and God shows emotion. And it's not okay to live an emotional life up and down, but it's also not okay to ignore emotion. So we're talking about that. And the first week, we talked about fear, the emotion of fear. And we learned a few things when it talked about fear. One of the things that we talked about fear is the fact that it was a result of sin, of the fall of man. We talked about fear, the fact that it does not come from God. Fear doesn't come from God. The Bible clearly states that God has not given you a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. And the other thing that we talked about when we dealt with the emotion of fear is that when you overcome it, you walk into God's purpose for you. We talked about anger, something we all deal with. Come on, can I get an amen on that one? (laughs) Anger is normal. Anger, even of itself, by itself is not a sin. The Bible says, be angry and do not sin, right? What happens? All these emotions, you feeling them is not sin. You acting upon it can enter into sin. So you feel angry and you turn around and tell someone off. You punch a wall. You drive really fast. You, you know, do something. Those are things that then enters into sin. So we talked about the fact that anger is normal. It can be dangerous. We talked about the fact that it can be avoided. It can be managed. And on some occasions, it can be righteous. Now, specifically with the one about it being righteous anger, we talked about that being when it is dealing with a greater cause. It's dealing with, it's not just about you, right? Somebody stepped on your toe and I'm righteously angry. No, that's not a big issue. We can get past it. Last week, we talked about anxiety. And it was a big one because anxiety is affecting millions of people in the United States of America. I think the statistic I said was about 14 million people. 18.1% of the population is on medication for anxiety. And we talked about overcoming anxiety, and you do it in several ways, by pursuing God and His righteousness, by praying, by guarding your thoughts. We talked about the fact that you have to cast those cares, those pains, those anxieties upon God And very importantly, you got to know what God says about you. Doesn't matter what people say, what does God say so that you can overcome anxiety? And today we're going to get into one that affects us all, and it's tied to some of these previous ones. But today we're going to talk about sadness, which can lead us into depression. See, fear is tied, we talked about it being interrelated to anxiety. Anxiety leads you to depression, to sadness. And we're going to talk a little bit about this now. I want to clear a few things up first. Number one, dealing with depression does not mean that you are not a Christian or walking right with God. It does not mean that. If you look throughout Scripture, there was a lot of men in the Bible that dealt with depression. You don't find the word depression in the Bible. In in a few translations, you find it once or twice. But you hear about worry and you hear about these weights and these burdens. King David is one that if you read the book of Psalms, you can tell he probably dealt with some forms of depression. I mean, you think about it. I'm here in this cave. I've got all these weights upon me. I can't go on. I can't care. The cares are too heavy. All these things that David writes in the Psalms. But what did he always do? He leaned onto God. I look to the mountains, to the hills, to where my help help comes from. Right? What did he say? He, He told himself, bless the Lord, O my soul. Dealing with sadness and depression 
doesn't mean you're not walking with God. But with God, you can get out of it. You know, we tend to medicate people that are dealing with depression. And there are cases of people with a chemical imbalance that need some form of medications in order to stabilize different things in their moods or whatnot, and that's okay. But not everyone needs medication. Come on. But very easily, in this country, we medicate for everything. My toe hurts. Here's this medication. I got this. Here's this medication. I got, and, and, and we've in this society, it's what we're doing. So I want to talk to you about sadness and depression and how we deal with it. All right. So open your Bibles to the book of First Kings, chapter 19. First Kings, chapter 19 is where we're going to start this morning. First Kings, chapter 19. Now we're going to talk about Elijah here. Now, let me give you a little bit of backstory on who Elijah is. If you don't know and never heard about Elijah, Elijah was a prophet. And by every stretch of the imagination, Elijah was, I mean, a fearless man's man, right? This guy was used by God to raise somebody from the dead. He was used by God to stop the sun. He was used by God to call the rain. And right here, where we're going to get into in chapter 19, he had just defeated the prophets of Baal. Now, let me give you a depiction of it. The prophets of Baal were 450 people. And Elijah looks at him and says, once and for all, let's end the discussion of who's the real God. And so he calls over all the prophets of Baal and he challenges them. He says, let's build altars, me to God, you to Baal. Let's call out to heaven so that the God will respond with fire, and the God that does it is the real God. So Elijah, full of courage and faith, looks at them and says, y'all can go first. There's 450 of y'all. You can go first. I'll wait. And so here, these 450 prophets of Baal are singing. They're dancing. This is in, in, in chapter 18. The Bible says that they were cutting themselves because that was one of the ways that the people that worship Baal would reach out to Baal. And Elijah, he's got the nerve and the boldness to mock the 450 guys, right? He's there and he's telling them, hey, come on, scream a little louder. Maybe Baal's busy right now. Maybe his hearing's a little bad. Come on, just get a little louder. And there he's mocking them, making fun of them. And when he's tired of waiting, he's like, all right, guys, you're done. You had your chance. So I'm going to call out to God now. But just to prove to you that my God is that powerful, let's dig a hole around the altar and let's fill it with 12 big old containers of water. I mean, the Bible says that he filled a trough of water all around now, I don't know about you, if you've ever tried to light a fire in a fire pit, you don't use wet wood. Anybody, right? Like, you don't use wet wood. I remember being at a retreat one time many, 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 many years ago. And uh, it had been raining, so the fire would not start. The wood was all wet. And, and so I went to the local gas station, and I bought flares, you know, like the ones that they use, the police use on the street. And that's what I stuck into the fire so it would finally go through the wood and it finally lit and then it wouldn't turn off. It was hilarious. But what wood doesn't light? So after he did all of that, he calls to God and fire comes from heaven, licks up all the water, consumes the sacrifice, consumes the altar, and everybody's like, oh my God, the God is real. And Elijah didn't just have it there. He pulled out his sword and he executed all 450 prophets of Baal. I'm telling you, this guy was a man, right? Like you, Two people show up against me. I might be like, this guy's like, 450, y'all? That ain't nothing for me and my Excalibur, right? Because I got God. And that leads us to chapter 19. And look at what happens. Verse number one, Ahab, that was the king, told Jezebel, his wife, all that Elijah had done. Also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so let the gods do to me and more also 
If I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. Thank you. That's right. <laughs> Next time, do it faster so I don't have to use my voice. I just put it against the microphone. It's all right. Verse 3. When he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. Here is this man of God who hears a voice of this woman that says, I'm going to kill you. And fear, anxiety, sadness came in, and he ran away. After calling fire from heaven. This wasn't like he was in a moment of weakness. He was in a moment of victory. And that's a whole teaching that we can do on there, because the devil is an expert at trying to bring things to your life that will cause you sadness to lead you into depression in the moments of a great victory. Where you are on a high. He tries to bring you to destroy you. So he runs away, verse number four. He himself, he left a servant there in Beersheba. He himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree and he prayed that he might die. And he said, it is enough now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. As he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. Then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? After great victories, many times the enemy comes to try to destroy you. Now, before we get into how to overcome sadness and depression, I want to talk about a few things. This is not an exhaustive list. This is not everything that can cause sadness and depression. But I want to talk about a few things that are gates or doors or ways that this attacks our life. And the first one is this, our schedule. Pastor, what do you mean your schedule? Yeah. Some of us are getting into a point of sadness and depression because we are so physically exhausted because we try to put too many things on our schedule. Trying to do one more thing, one more thing, one more thing. I'm not one that deals much with this. I'm the type of person that I'm very happy-go-lucky. I can make friends with a chair and have a conversation and, you know, and I'm all right. But when I am beyond exhaustion and it starts setting in, I'll sit in a chair and without anything, just tears run down my face. Out of just my body being at the point of just exhaustion. And that's not healthy. When you are dealing with too much on your plate and your schedule being too full, you can deal with getting into these forms of sadness and that can even lead you to a depression. And the inverse is also true. If you don't have anything on your schedule, you know that depression attacks the elderly very rampantly. Why? Because they feel lonely sometimes. Because they feel they don't have worth. They have nothing to do. Let me tell you something. That's a lie of the enemy. Because there is so much that you can do for this next generation. Praying, 
calling people, visiting the hospital, visiting those in need. There's so much that you can do, but the enemy gets this thing and says, oh, you can't do it because you're retired and now you can't do it. You don't have this value. Having a too crazy of a schedule or not having anything on your schedule, both things can lead you into this depression. The second thing that I want to talk about is comparison. Comparison. I mean, it says it right here in the Bible. What did he say to God? I am no better than my father's. I want to die. Again, this guy had just called fire from heaven. This guy had just executed 450 prophets of Baal. I'm sure he was physically exhausted. And he runs away at the word of Jezebel and he says, oh, that I should die. I'm even no better than my father's. Comparison makes you want to crawl up into a hole. And in today's society, nothing's worse than that, for that than social media. Facebook and Instagram. You know, I'm not going to, I was thinking about having you guys do something now, but I'm afraid of some of y'all passing out. Because there's a thing on your phone when you go to settings and your battery that tells you how much time you spent on your different apps. And I'm sure there's some of you that tell me, Pastor, I don't spend that much time on it. And if you went on there, it would say that in the last 24 hours, 32% or 40% of your battery was on Instagram. And it tells you how many minutes. I had a counseling with someone one time and I was like, I'm sure he's like, no, I don't. I was like, give me your phone. And I looked it up and I put the phone back and the person said, okay. And you know what the worst part of it is? We're comparing ourselves to people's finest moments. Come on. You all have seen the person. I'm not going to say you've seen the person. You're sitting there at a restaurant and you're sitting out of your corner, there's this person over there, I'll do it with the iPad, and they're in a corner, and for about 12 and a half minutes, they took 874 pictures to post one. Y'all are laughing, because it might be you. No, I'm just kidding. And here you are, oh my God, Look at that, so amazing, and the thing, oh, I, I, I wish my boyfriend would take me out to a dinner like that. I mean, I wish I even had a boyfriend, right? Like, he's getting all caught up in it. Person puts a picture of the beach. Man, I haven't been to the beach in seven years. I'm so depressed, I can't believe it. Yeah, that lady hasn't been to the beach in seven years either. They took it off the internet. And here we are comparing ourselves to someone's highlight reel of perfect moments. You know, they get up, they go brush their teeth, they do their hair, they iron it, they do the makeup, they get back in the bed, they take a picture. I wake up like this, liar! (laughs) Liar! You know you wake up with that stanky dragon breath and your hair like that. And here you're telling me, rise and grind. No, shut up. <laughs> I can't, I can't. And then this, this becomes sadness. And sadness left unchecked leads us to depression. Social media can be a good thing, okay? I'm not anti-social media. However, if it's damaging your daily walk, delete the sucker. You don't need it. Get rid of it. I, my wife and I, we, 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 we joke about stuff. Like we went on a date on Friday. Husbands, I always say this all the time, never stop dating your wife. That's, and I love it. Our men's chat this week was blowing up. I'm on this date with my wife. Date your wife. So we had gone on a date. And um, I took a picture of her and I put it on my, on my thing, you know, on a date with my wife, whatever in the thing. And then I took a picture of my food and put the food or whatever. And, you know, an hour later, I, you know, we look at something or whatever. I was like, 
got upset. He's like, what's wrong? I was like, the picture of you only has six likes. <laughs> She's like, but you just put it up. I was like, I put it up 54 minutes ago. I put up the picture of my chicken four minutes ago. It's got 32 likes. What's wrong with people? Right? Can we be honest in this church or not? You put a picture of, you know, something and it's like, ah, oh, awesome, oh, whatever. You put a picture of a Bible verse, crickets. <laughs> True or not? And here we are again. There's some people that don't even post. Like, I've had people like something on my thing and I was like, oh, who is this person? Let me go kick on their page. They follow 875 people and have one post. All they do is live their life. What's so-and-so doing? What's so-and-so doing? Comparison can destroy you. Some of you are comparing yourself. Somebody's like, oh, look, I'm doing better than they are. But most of the time, it's like, I wish I had that. Sadness, depression isn't a sin, but now if that's leading you to be there and dealing with comparison of wanting what others have, that's called covetousness. Now that's a sin. The third thing I want to talk about is a word that some of you have never heard in your life. Ruminating. I'm not going to ask you to be, but, but if you know what ruminating is, raise your hand. Anybody? All right, we've got a four people. You came to first service, so it's all right. <laughs> Somebody's like, oh, I know what it is. Yeah, you didn't know when I said it in Spanish, no? Rumiando is in Spanish. Ruminating is when you get a thought and you just continue to think about it over and over again. This is the best example of it. It's what cows do. I'm not calling you a cow. Please don't get offended. <laughs> cows chew the cud. I'm going to gross you out. They go and they bite the grass and they start. And after they chew it for a while, they... And a little while later, they go back into their mouth, and they keep chewing it. They do that like seven or eight times with the same piece of grass. It's called chewing the cud, ruminating. It's disgusting. And that's how many of us are living in our minds, chewing on a thought of what someone did, of what someone said, of why I did this wrong, of what happened to me yesterday. And we chew on it and we bring it down and we wake up tomorrow and go, hmm? but I should have done this better and I could have done this differently and I could have done this. And it leads you to depression. As you ruminate over and over and over and over on the same thing. Get the nasty picture of the cow regurgitating it into its mouth to continue to chew. And understand that that is the poison that you're doing to yourself when you continue to dwell on what someone did or said or happened. And the devil licking his chops. I can come back next week. I don't got to deal with that one. They get, they've taken care of themselves. You're doing your job for me. Ruminating. Our thoughts lead us to where we're going to go. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that sin starts in a thought. Because then as you think about it, it leads to an action. And that can work in the positive, but many times it's in the negative. Schedules, comparison, ruminating. The fourth one, again, this is not an exhaustive list, it's just different things, but the fourth one is the inability to process. The inability to process, dealing with pain, with grief. 
the loss of a son, a daughter, the loss of a, a parent, the loss of a spouse, and we're there dealing with it, or not dealing with it, better said, having it there without dealing with it, and it's destroying us because we're not able to process it. We're not able to deal with the circumstance, with the issue. You know, I'm going to sidetrack for a second. I mentioned depression is something that we can all fall into, and it doesn't mean you're less of a Christian. However, the majority of things with depression are not chemical imbalances. The majority of things is us not being able to deal with an emotion that we are dealing with. There are cases, understand me clearly, of diagnoses of people that need help. But think about it. When you look up statistics, or not statistics, when you look up what the American uh, Psychiatric Association says about depression, they, say you, they tell you things like this. Watch this. If a family member of yours deals with depression, you're more likely to deal with depression. However, they have no understanding yet medically of what causes depression. Let me give you my opinion on that. Generational curses are real. And when a doctor tells you, oh, you're dealing with this anxiety and this depression, did your mother deal with depression? Oh, yes. Did your grandma? You're more likely to have it too. We are self-fulfilling prophecies expecting something to happen to us because it happened to a family member. When again, there's no medical way of understanding why it happens. I want to be clear. There are situations of chemical imbalances and disorders where there is medication needed to be able to stabilize. But do you know what the medication does? It keeps you here, not feeling. The medication doesn't fix it. The medication dampens your emotions. Pastor, I came to a church not to hear about this stuff. We need to know scriptural, but we also need to know life. You guys agree with that? I mean, that's how we preach at this church, and that's not going to change. If that offends you, I really apologize for that. Don't mean to offend you. But my job as a pastor is not just to give you the word of God, is to make you a well-rounded believer that can go out and make other Christians and live a life of success the way God has ordained you to live. Those of you that in your mind, and I'm going to get back to the preaching, but I got to clear this up. Those of you in your mind that perhaps are judging because somebody else takes medication for a diagnosis, quit judging because you are probably medicating yourself too. Oh, I don't take any medications. Yeah. If you tell me that I have to drink a bottle of wine or a glass of wine when I get home to relax, that's a medication to deal with your emotions. If I have to watch Sports Center every single day to be able to unwind at night, that's a medication that you're giving yourself because you don't know how to deal with your emotion. Pastor, you're being severe. No, I'm being honest. Many of us use other things to medicate ourselves. To not be able to deal with our emotions. And it's why we're not having successful marriages relationships with our children's environments at work because we don't know how to deal with emotion we just medicate it to put it away and again it's not just pills there's other things that sometimes we use to medicate okay so we talked about schedule we talked about ruminating that visual we talked about comparison inability to process the next one is isolation. Isolation. What do we mostly do when we're feeling sad and depressed? I don't want to talk to anybody. Can, can we be honest for a minute? Isn't it what Elijah did? Watch, go back to your Bible. 
to verse number three of first Kings chapter 19. And when he saw, he arose, ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah and left his servant there. And himself went away's journey into the wilderness. First thing he did, the guy that was always with him, he dropped him off somewhere and went by himself to the wilderness and said to God, I wish I could be dead. Is that not what your Bible says? Isolation leads you into deeper sadness and depression. And if you've ever watched anything on Animal Planet or any of these things, side, I love those shows. The other day, Patty and I were on the couch. We were watching something. She dozed off. So I was like, oh, I'm not going to finish watching the show that we were watching. So let me change to something else. And when she wakes up, I'm watching Blue Planet. It's, it's about the Pacific. No, Big Pacific. Sorry, I was watching Big Pacific. It's on Amazon. And it's all these things about the Pacific Ocean and the birds and, the, and all this stuff. And she wakes up to a snake jumping off a tree and catching a bird. She's like, how are you watching this? It's like, it's cool. I enjoy it. Anyways. Shark Week starts this week, yes. If you ever watch any of these things, when one of the animals is preying on another, so P-R-E-Y, not praying for another, <laughs> just in case. <laughs> Somebody got a visual of a lion kneeling down. Lord, bless this gazelle I'm about to eat. No, I'm just kidding. When one of these lions is pursuing a gazelle, who do they go after? The one that isolates himself from the pack. So how does depression work? It makes you want to isolate yourself and get into the woe is me, I'm all alone, I have nobody, and you're retreating. Many times it's self-imposed being alone. You have people that have called you, but you, oh, I don't want to talk to them. I, I, I don't want them to know what I'm going through. Here's the other biggest lie of the devil. I don't want to be a burden to them. And you keep isolating yourself and pulling yourself away. And before you know it, you're so far gone. I was talking to somebody recently who dealt with PTSD, and, and, and I was talking, and, and I asked, I was like, man, like, as a church, we want to do more for our veterans, and, you know, what... You know what? And, and I'm asking, it says, and he told me, he said, Pastor, by the time that most people realize it, they're so far down the hole that it's too late. You know why? Because they've retreated into isolation. And nobody saw it. No, you're dealing, cry out to your brothers and sister in Christ to help you get out. We as a church need to break the stigma of depression because we have Christians that are even taking their lives out of fear of telling someone that they feel depressed. And I'm not okay with that because God has more for you and has a purpose in your life. And if you isolate yourself, we can't help. Or we say things like, I'm not going to call. They should call me. But you know what the other person's saying? I'm not going to call. They should call me. And here you are, both of you saying, the other person should call. And the devil, I got him right where he wanted By themselves. Why does the book of Hebrews say, don't stop congregating like many have a custom of doing? That's why as a church, we provide not just services, we do activities. We have lighthouses, we have small groups, we have prayer servers, we have youth servers, we have different things, different ways to connect. Next time you notice that somebody's not there, you know what? Don't necessarily just come, come, hey, pastor, why isn't so-and-so here? Pick up the phone and call them because so-and-so might need to hear just your voice at that moment that say, I miss you, to get them to stand up and walk out of isolation and into God's blessing. You can't give up reaching out on people. 
Because isolation can be deadly. Elijah, guys, fire from heaven. (laughs) Raising the dead with a sword to about 450 people. And the word that if I'm going to kill you made him run into isolation and tell God, take my life. I'm not even as good as one of my fathers. Isolation. We cannot isolate ourselves. We need each other to lift each other up. David said, you took me out of the miry clay and put my foot upon a stone. Again, to meet, after Jesus, my favorite Bible person is David. Not just because we share a name. (laughs) But in the dealings of his issues, he ran to God. When he committed adultery and murder and was confronted, his cry was to God, don't depart your Holy Spirit from me. That's how he overcame it, was running to God, not isolating himself from the Father. And the last thing I want to talk about before we get into how to overcome this is spiritual warfare. Many times as believers, we deal with depression and sadness, and we can't find a cause We're not in sin, blatant sin, obviously, is what I'm talking about, right? We're not opening doors for the devil by lying and doing things we're not supposed to do. And you just feel this weight. That can be a spiritual attack, and you need to pray through it. I'm going to be honest with you. And I said it in the first service, and I've never been one to deal with depression. But last night, when I was getting in bed, I felt the heaviness of this preaching, it's a heavy topic. This has been, I've been, as we prepare this week four, but I've been, I've been studying the sadness, depression one every single week for the last four weeks. And before we started the part of the series. And last night, right before we went to bed, I looked at my wife in the bed and I said, I need you to pray for me right now. I just feel this weight of the sadness, depression that I'm going to talk about tomorrow. I could have just tried to go to sleep. Oh, I can overcome it. I can do it. No, nobody's going to pray for me like her. Pray for me. Before going to sleep, she laid hand on my head and prayed for me that I might be able to wake up today and deliver this message because we're all dealing with stuff like this. It was a spiritual attack. I know it was. And many of us are trying to medicate spiritual attacks. Again, I'm not only talking about pills. I'm talking about the escapism through TV, alcohol, other drugs. Those are things that we use to numb what we're feeling. We need to run to God. So how do we overcome this? What do we need to do? Well, the first thing I want to talk about of what you need to do is we need to deal with getting better physically. Physically, we need to get better. What do I mean by getting better physically? If we go back to Elijah, what's the first thing Elijah did when he got out there by himself? Anybody realize what's the first thing he did? He took a nap. Did he not? He went to sleep. If you are dealing with sadness and depression because of your schedule being so full to the point of exhaustion, church, you got to get some rest. You need to take a Sabbath. You need to eat better. Pastor, how do you get eat better out of that Bible verse? Watch. Look, look, go back to the Bible. He went to sleep under a broom tree in verse 4. Suddenly an angel touched him and said, arise and eat. And it wasn't Krispy Kreme and Popeye's, okay? You know I love Krispy Kreme and Popeye's, that's what I said. It's the best fried chicken, Popeye's chicken. Ain't gonna get an amen? amen. Yeah, I'm right. All right. If you've never had Popeye's, 
don't enter into temptation. It's easier to not enter into what you do not know. I'm telling you. Arise and eat. And he looked there by his cat was a cake baked on coals. It was baked. It wasn't fried. <laughs> and a jar of water. Not Pepsi or Coke or Gatorade or lemonade. It was water. There's some of us that are dealing with physical ailments that mask itself as depression because we're lethargic and it's because we're not resting and we're not eating. Right. We're eating. It's not right. And then it says he laid down again. And again, he woke him up and touched him and said, arise and eat for the journey is too great for you. He arose, ate, drank, and he went on the strength of that food. 40 days and 40 nights. Here's the next thing for your physical body. We need to exercise some. You need to go on a walk, on a jog, on a bike ride, use the elliptical machine. I'm not talking about working out just when you walk to the fridge, right? Like, we need to get our body in a better position physically, okay? In addition to that, of our exercise, we need a better lifestyle of rest. Sometimes things that we're doing are just not sustainable because we're just trying to do too much, right? You have the guy that opens a business, tells his wife, hey, you know, right now that we're launching, I'm going to be having to work a lot of hours. Here you are 17 years later, your kid's graduating college and the whole thing, and they've never spent time with you because you never got out of the working 18 hours a day. If it's not sustainable, cut back on it. Because we need to deal with our physical. Get healthy physically. Here's the next thing. We need to get into the presence of God. We need to get into the presence of God. That's what Elijah did, right? If you go back again to 1 Kings chapter 19, verse number 11. Or let's go back to verse number 9. He went into a cave, spent the night in that place, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? I feel God was asking him, Elijah, why are you staying in this state of sadness and depression? He said, right, because we try to justify ourselves, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. The children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, turned down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. I am alone, I'm left, and now they want to kill me. Then he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after a fire, a still small voice. So it was when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah got into the presence of God and was confronted by the father saying, what are you doing here? Why are you in this state? See, it's very similar to the dealing of the anxiety that we talked about last week. Because anxiety can also lead you to depression. How do you overcome it? Seek God and his righteousness. Pray. Guard your thoughts. Know what the Bible says about you. And cast your cares upon the Lord. So you need to get into the presence of God in order to be able to overcome this. Get into the presence. And you're not going to know what God is saying until you are still. Have you ever tried to have a conversation with anybody who was on the phone in a convertible? <laughs> Some of you are laughing because you know what I'm talking about. You know, or with the sunroof was open, the windows are down, and you're talking, and all you hear is, <laughs> I can't make out what you're saying. You sound like you're in a wind tunnel. Oh, yeah, I'm driving with the top down. Pull over so I can hear you. Guys, get into the presence of God and then be still and listen to what he has to say. And the last one is this. Get a fresh vision. 
Get a fresh vision. Look at what he says there after he's having this encounter with God, right? He has his encounter. God says, what are you doing, Elijah? Verse 14. Elijah again answers, I've been very zealous for the Lord of hosts because of the children of Israel. I've forsaken your covenant, turned down your altars, killed your prophets at the, with the sword. I alone am left and they seek to take my life. The Lord said to him, go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, anoint Haziel as king over Syria. Anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And Elijah, the son of Shaphat, of Abel Mekola, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. In other words, your time's not done. Get up and go be the prophet again and anoint these people. Get a fresh vision. And again, some of you in this place, you're in a different place of life. Right? The change of circumstance can bring sadness and depression. Don't sit there ruminating on that. Get a fresh vision of what you can do in this new chapter of life. Get a fresh vision to get up and go and be. Because you have so much that you can still do and impart into others. We have so much. But the devil's lied to us that our time is done. No, it's not. Not until God says it's time to come join the chorus of angels and sing in heaven. Notice I said join the chorus of angels, not become an angel. I'm going to go there for a second. When somebody dies, even if they're a believer, they do not become an angel. They do not get their wings. Guys, I'm being very serious because I know a lot of firm believers who will put things like that on social media when somebody dies. Oh, somebody just gained their wings. No, that is unbiblical. I need to teach you what the Word of God says. It's just some people, that's the way that they deal with the pain, and it leads them into depression because it wasn't God. It was a lie of the enemy. And I don't know who that's for here today. Your family member is not watching over you. Your family member is not there. If you feel you talk to a dead family member, that is the devil playing a trick on you. That is not biblical. Some of you are like, this church is too crazy for me. No, I'm scriptural. And I'm not going to take a step back on that. I have a whole series we're working on for that for next year because I feel there's something that needs to be dealt with. Some of these things take a long time to plan, so pray for your pastor. No, like for real, pray for your pastor. We pray for the more that we can take off my plate and different things, the more I can actually study for these things. Like these things don't just happen, right? But, but, but... Your family member does not watch over you, church. The Bible says that trying to communicate with the dead is witchcraft. Okay? God watches over you. And if the person that passed away had a relationship with God, they went to heaven and they joined the chorus of angels that sing out, holy, holy, holy. So the Bible says we're going to be in heaven worshiping God nonstop. Walking on streets of gold, sea of glass, right? Crystal. That's what heaven's about. So we need to be very careful with that. Sometimes we, we just heard, and, and, and that's where a, a lot of these things, people buy these little angel figurines and these things and whatever that's very new age into this stuff, and it has this power. No, it doesn't. First things first, I don't visualize God's angels as chubby little fat guys. <laughs> It ain't Cupid, all right? <laughs> you know how I picture an angel? I picture him there standing seven, eight feet tall, long flowing hair, muscles building out of everywhere, big old swords in their hand. And angels are not who we worship. Man, I'm going really off topic, but we're going to go there. The Bible says that angels are there, and I'm going to say what it says, it says... For the heirs of soteria, which is salvation, is the heirs of salvation. We are the ones that actually have authority over the angels. Angels do not come. Angels were used by God as messengers, right? Gabriel came and spoke to Mary, also spoke to Joseph. 
And you see sometimes where it says that the angel of the Lord, when it talks about the angel of the Lord, it's really depicting Jesus. I went really off topic. Just Pastor Fernie's anointing of nuggets is coming over. This, I'm, I'm dropping some nuggets. Oh, okay, that's a good one. I'm dropping some fillets. All right. Can I say it, Monica? Monica tells me on Sunday, on Wednesday, because we've had multiple Wednesdays where people show up with nuggets to mess with Pastor Fernie. And she goes, if I would have known this would have been such a big thing of the nuggets, I would have said uh, shrimp. I would have <laughs> I said sushi, you know, drop sushi. You know, I'm dropping some sushi rolls on you or something. Because that way people show up with that and not McDonald's nuggets. <laughs> oh, man. Let's get back to what we're talking about today. You dealing with sadness or depression, worship team, come on up. You dealing with sadness and depression is not sin, and it does not make you lesser of a Christian. As John Chris says, I want everybody to check their hearts. What do I mean by check your heart? If when you see somebody going through a situation, the first thing that comes to your mind is what are they in? What sin did they commit that they're dealing with this now? That's a judgment spirit, and you got to get rid of that. We're not called to judge. We're called to pray for each other, lift each other up, help each other. Because even if it was sin that got them to where they are, God sent Jesus to get them out. So who the heck are you to judge and put them down? Extend the hand. Pray. Don't just say, oh, I'm praying for you. No, 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 no. Pray for them. Call them. Tell them, my brother, don't isolate. I'm here. Church, if you are going through depression right now, that's okay. Just don't do it alone. Let us know. Don't do it alone. So that we can help you get to what God has for you. Because God has a purpose in your life, a plan in your life, and he's going to bring it to fruition. So I challenge you, don't ruminate on it. I had somebody dealing with a loss recently, and I asked, how are you dealing? It was like, oh, I'm just trying to keep myself busy. I'm going to the gym. I'm doing more hours at work. I'm doing this, I'm doing that. And I looked and I said, none of that is dealing with the issue. All of that is just masking you. The pain is still there. And left unchecked, it's going to lead you into a bad spot. Church, let's stop doing life alone so that together we can rise and do what God has called us to do.